DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. David Locke's going to join us here momentarily. If he answers the phone, <laughs> we'll have to see how that plays out. Hey, you got a question up here on Facebook, PK. On the last official weekend of summer, we've got major golf, the U.S. Open, NBA playoffs, uh, West game one tonight, East tomorrow, game three, and then the West will play the second game between the Lakers and Nuggets on Sunday. Uh, this is WNBA playoffs, Major League Baseball. We're down to like the last 10 games of the regular season-ish. Uh, soccer, pro football, college football, decisions, decisions. What are you going to spend your time on? Grayson says the couch. I think Grayson's going to have the remote, and he's going to be making that thing smoke. Bouncing around from one game to another. And then we got one here. Uh, Jamie says, I'm going to spend my time on the one league that you failed to mention. I assume he means the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, Daniel says, hell yes, pickleball. Aaron's going to watch Little League. They're still proud of their country. Little League, they're getting ripped off, man. They should form a union. We, we need to be watching. We need to be paying these players. They're the reason we watch them. Kevin says, college football, pro football, and if I have time, I'll check out the NBA playoffs. Sunday night game two will go against the, uh, the Sunday night primetime game. The Seahawks. Yeah. I'll be bouncing around between the two. Yeah. Yes, but uh, if the U.S. Open is close, aren't we going to prioritize golf? A major championship over week two of the NFL? You were talking the Sunday night game versus the NBA. I looked at the next comment. I looked at the next comment. David Olson says, golf and baseball. Well, golf earlier in the day, yeah, I was talking yeah. about after. By the time you get to the Seahawks game, yeah. By the time the by the time the Lakers and Nuggets come on, which is a five thirty game, the U.S. Open will be all wrapped up. Right. U.S. Open will go against those uh, first two NFL games, and the third one in prime time will go against the NBA playoffs. Well, I mean that's fairly easy to do, I think, with golf as you progress. You know, you eliminate more guys, so then it becomes like usually a battle of two guys, maybe three or four, but most of the time at the end it's a battle right. of two. And so and they tee off. You know how many shots? Yeah, right. They tee off, and you know how much time before they get to the fairway to hit that second shot. Right. So it's easy to go back and forth, and then you can have uh, another device to be able to watch uh, other stuff. Get your phone or laptop going. Yeah, I was watching, uh, like, for instance, last night I was watching some baseball, and as it became clear that the Browns were going to win, I put it on my phone. So I was able to pay attention to both. And, you know, there's a little bit of downtime in between pitches and in between plays and whatnot, so it's fairly fairly easy to do. So I had no problem being able to do that. And that's uh, that's probably what I'll do on Sunday, but, you know, if it's if it's real real tight, certainly yes. I'm a playoff dude, who I describe myself as a playoff junkie. And in this case here, with the golf being a major, it may not be literally in a playoff, but it does mean more than the regular tournaments that they have week to week. 
So I've got it on right now. I'm watching it as we speak and uh, something that I'll be definitely paying attention to. My big thing on all of this is that I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting into college football. I'm really disappointed that at 1.30 tomorrow, uh, BYU and Army are not going to be playing. I'm big time disappointed. I'm actually surprised at how disappointed I am because then you combine that with the no Pac-12, even no Mountain West. and The local it's a, buy-in. It's a bummer for yep. me. Uh, yeah. There's no local buy-in now. It's all teams on the other side of the country that we don't know the people and we're not emotionally invested in those teams. No, and I can watch pretty much any any NFL game, but it's really hard for me to watch random college football games that I just am not going to have much attraction to. It's to an extent that I think it's been the problem with BYU and their independent schedule is they play some of these teams that we know nothing about, and there's really no point in investing in them because you're not going to see them develop. There's going to be no carryover when they play a middle Tennessee state, and that's it. They're gone, or central Florida, whoever it might be. You know, you you don't have – uh, any type of uh, connection. There's it's, no it's when passion they, there. It's when they play Pac-12 and Mountain West schools that we get most fired up because those are the schools and leagues we've been following and we know their backstories. Yeah. It, even though even those are some of the you know, home-and-home, home, it's, it's not a one-off because there's two games, so I guess it's a two-off, right? I mean, you can play Michigan State home-and-home, home, but it means more when they're playing uh, USC Home and home, or oh, ASU it definitely home and does. Yeah. It definitely does, and this would have been the ASU week uh, if it would have been originally scheduled, and I would have been leaving today to go to Tempe, uh, and I'm disappointed in that. But I've been grappling with that for a good long time now, so I knew that was coming. Whereas the Army thing, you gave it to me, and then it got taken away real quick. Now I'm not, I'm not arguing the the idea of taking it of not playing it that's not the point the point is that i'm missing it and i'm going to miss it because right after that navy game okay how good is this team and can they do it two in a row i'm not that army's alabama but it was one of the more representative teams on their schedule and so i was excited for it and now it's not going to be here and i i just don't know that i'm going to be watching any college football during the day i'll go to the gym maybe go hit some golf balls i don't know exactly watch a and, little us open during the day won't you yeah that's for sure and then later in the evening uh you know I'll, I'll when i'm sitting at home i'll be flicking around some and pay attention to some college football too but the college football right now it's a shame uh but you know, now that we have time here, I'd go back to the to the Pac-12 thing. How much time did they need? And is it is it meaningless if they don't have uh, an opportunity to get in the playoff? Because I don't think it is meaningless. Maybe two fan bases can argue that, and you could argue with them. I don't see how ten fan bases can argue that because if ten fan bases, their, their team wasn't going anyway. I think this year will be uh, for the Pac-12. Even if they had it, and for the Big Ten, for that matter, uh, you know, players have already opted out. So this year's already screwed in a sense to begin with. Well, this team was really good. Okay, well, uh, if Sewell doesn't come back, then Oregon isn't as good as really good as it was supposed to be really good, which didn't make any sense, but that's the point. So what's the difference here? Isn't it already somewhat haywired? 
with these players who've opted out. Now, I understand Wade for Ohio State has opted back in. Mm-hmm. LSU uh, had a guy opt back in, but they've had, then, I think, four guys opt out, so they only got one of them back. Uh, so, in, th- in that manner... How legit is it compared to a regular season? And you're not playing a bunch of games. Uh, Oregon didn't get knocked out of last year's playoff by losing to who they lose to. Was it Auburn or who was the first it was, game? It was Auburn in the first game, and then ASU right. in the That's, next okay, to last. Yeah. So um, what I should have said is they didn't get knocked out by losing to ASU. They got knocked out by losing to Oregon. That combined the two. Because they were always going to, they're going to play a conference game. Well, now with no non-conference games, how legitimate is this postseason to begin with? Because if if you just go a conference and you take everything to say it was last year, and then you slap Oregon with one loss and the way they just kicked the crap out of Utah, they would have been in the playoff, right? Well, now you're not going to have non-conference games, so you can't lose them. Uh, so I can argue that uh, an Oregon, who was Oregon supposed to play Ohio State, weren't they? Somebody? Second week of the season? That was the one. Oregon, it was, uh, Watson, yeah. Michigan was going to play Washington and Oregon was going to play Ohio State. Those were two huge Big Ten Pac-12 games. Yeah, I don't know that uh, Michigan or Washington would have been in contention either way, but certainly you can argue that Oregon and Ohio State were, were going to be, and since nobody... If they would have lost that game, which is very much conceivable, obviously, they got a brand new quarterback, too. I mean, I know they got everybody in their dog back, but they don't have a quarterback back. Well, they have the, the sloth kid. That's how you say his name, I think. Um, he played, but he wasn't the starter, obviously, because Herbert was. So that's early in the season. So you can see, it's and, and, and Ohio State has their kid back in fields, so it's very conceivable that they lose that game. Well, then you look at the conference schedule, nine conference games. Well, no one has gone through undefeated since they've gone through the Pac-12, since they've and this is in our 10th year. So I can argue that they would be out. Well, now they could actually... Uh, have a possibility to be in if they started early enough, but if they don't start it early enough, they're out. It's all sorts of confusing either way. So I don't see how you can make this argument definitively one way or the other. So if they can't, if the coaches and everybody decide they can't start until uh, the week after, the Saturday after Thanksgiving or the Friday after Thanksgiving, and it's not enough playoff game or enough games to qualify for the playoff, so what? Who's qualifying for the playoff that was legitimate if the season would have been played and we would have been in the third or fourth week right now as it is? You don't know. Out of the Pac-12 and out of the uh, Big Ten, for, well, first off, you got the whole non-conference thing that isn't happening, so the season's just, it's weird. It's a one-off. It's, un, it's unlike anything else. And you got star players bailing out. I'm mean, Saban basically saying if we do this in the spring, it'll be a JV season. So for some of these schools, they're going down the JV road because they're losing their best players, and you can't possibly replace your high-end NFL talent. You, you just can't. And then on top of it, no matter what season it is, how many of these teams in these leagues legitimately had a shot at the playoffs anyway? I mean, how many playoffs has Michigan been in? I know they think they have a shot, and I suppose they do have some shot, not one that's likely to pay off, you know, but... 2%, 5%, tops. Ohio State's the overwhelming favorite, but Penn State and Michigan and, I don't know, maybe Wisconsin think they all have a chance. Well, then you have a situation like with the U of A. One of their best players, if not their best defensive player, left to go to the Big Ten, or Big 12, I mean, mm-hmm. Texas Tech. 
So it's all screwed up either way. So you can't pick and choose uh, what's what you like and don't like because it's all in flux either way. So to say that the Pac-12 shouldn't play because they won't get enough games to be considered for the playoff, I, I disagree completely. So that's the world in reality. you using tons of logic. Over here in the emotional world that you often prefer to exist in when I'm existing in some logical take and <laughs> you're lighting me up. Uh, in the world of emotion, the Pac-12 is an also-ran. The Pac-12 is not really the Power Five. Depending on which league you're talking to, I mean, people will say, oh, there's only four power leagues. As soon as I hear somebody say that, I assume they're from the Big 12 or the ACC. Or a BYU <laughs> fan. Oh, okay, yeah. but Because I, I don't think the people in the Big 10 and the SEC, they think it's the Big 2. We're the big dogs, and the rest of you play uh, college football. But it's all about the Big Ten and the SEC. We okay, are fine. the big dogs. If that's your ultimate goal. So there's a quote in the story, which is what started all this, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic. Uh, one of the Pac-12, well, a, a Pac-12 assistant, a veteran, he's identified as a veteran Pac-12 assistant, says, we're way, and, and when Feldman wrote this, he put in five A's in a way, we're way behind strength-wise. Our strength coach doesn't think we could play till the middle of November. And then a Pac-12 head coach says, I thought a start date of December 5 was pushing it. It's a one-off year. Let's do what's right for our kids and our conference. We're going to take a lump. Let's not take two lumps. Now, that goes to the perception issue. It's the Pac-12. You're not good. You don't take it serious. It doesn't mean as much to you guys. And you're not as good as us. So they're going to take a lump because that's going to get reinforced. But do you take two lumps, have a bunch of guys get hurt? Big setback for those guys physically and depending on the injuries, you know, for the team as well. That coach makes a lot of sense. Play a December-January schedule. Have a conference title game after eight or nine league games in uh, late January, early February, however you plug it in around the Super Bowl and the NFL playoffs, and away you go. I kind of doubt that's going to happen, but I get why that Pac-12 coach is saying it. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. I, I don't. Well, I, I mean, I trust you. I, I trust you and what you've heard from the people you know who have much better information than the public at large. Now, granted, all information is changing, so I don't even think head coaches and ADs can 100% guarantee what's going to happen. Well, they can't because they're not the ultimate decision right. makers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they have they have insight, and, that, and the insight is subject to change. I don't think there's any question about that. Right. Uh, that, yeah, I was told late November, and I think that's what they're going to target for. And the Pac-12 is going to take it because I, right now – the Pac-12 with Larry Scott, he's the whipping boy. And and if he gave puppies to all underprivileged children, it would be, what are you doing? Something's wrong. And Kanzano would write a column ripping it. So basically the point being, no matter what they do, they're going to get hammered. And a lot of it is for their own doing. And they've set themselves up. This gaudy stuff and renting $8 million of real estate is ridiculous, whatever the f- price is. and. I agree in that completely, uh, but so now it's just, they're the Pac-12 and Larry Scott has become the proverbial NCA, meaning you just crack on them no matter what they do. They're corrupt. They're this. They're stupid. They're inadequate. They're inept. Blah blah blah. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that they should just just run in to do something for the sake of something that might happen. 
If you knew it was going to happen, well, as hypocritical as it sounds, well, then maybe I'm open to selling your soul. <laughs> but <laughs> which, the, you, which the Big Ten may or may not be doing, but yeah. because they know they have a much better shot at a, at a, uh, a spot in the playoff, uh, one of the Pac-12 coaches said, well, they, they kept practicing. They kept practicing like they were going to play, like the decision was going to be reversed. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I think they they kept meeting and stuff. I was listening. Uh, they uh, had a uh, Herm Edwards was on for an hour uh, on uh, Hatch's station, not during the day. They did it at night, and uh, so I was listening to some of that. And he was talking about all the stuff that they've been doing. You know, they haven't had a helmet on in months, but they've still been doing stuff. So does that give them an advantage? Well, my belief is if you have really good players, yes, it does give you an advantage. <laughs> if you don't, uh, probably not as much. So the, some of them have been doing something and they, because that's just who they are and that's the way they're wired. So it hasn't been the same. But I don't know if you give them the – Eight, say you, you use the phrase eight weeks of summer training and you try to replicate that, okay, you're still missing out. You're not going to get what you had completely back anyway because if you just replicate the eight weeks of summer training, well, then you don't have the training camp in August when you would go in. That would be condensed. So you're never going to have exactly what you had for this season. And it may not be for two or three years that you don't get back exactly what you had. So what is the give and take there? How do you handle that? and play that out because it may be like the NBA, right? They're not going to get back. The 2021 season is not going to be exactly like the 2018-2019 season, the customary season that we've known for the NBA to have, right? So it's going to take a while for it to get back to the way it was, if at, if at all. Now, it's probably going to be stuff that's never going to get back. But as far as the training, it's certainly going to take a two-year deal to get back to where you were, right? That seems pretty clear to me right now. And we'll yeah. talk with that about David Locke. He was dilly-dallying about, so he's been rescheduled for 9 o'clock. You can't do half a segment with Dave. You just can't squeeze David in at that point. you gotta, you got to move. we five minutes with him. He, so. needs a full, he needs a full segment. David Locke at 9 o'clock. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio. JT was his pick. Man, that paid off on day one. But will it pay off for all four rounds? We'll talk with Bob Casper about that next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. The Pac-12 will move on regardless of what California and Oregon schools are able to do. It's not a matter of if, it's just when. Is it going to be October? Is it going to be early November? Is it going to be mid to late November? And I got to think with the Big Ten, with their announcement today, Pac-12 has to make the announcement quick if they want to get in on college football playoff and New Year's Six games. You can't, okay, well, let's get a bunch of Zoom meetings and try to figure this out. No, you got to go. Whether California can go or not, it doesn't matter. You got to go. And that's there is a lot of urgency right now because if the Pac-12 starts in mid to late November, what are you playing for? What are you doing? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to talk U.S. Open golf with the man, the myth, the legend. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio. Bob, good morning. 
Good morning, guys. How you doing? JT for the win. First pick, first round, and he goes five under. Yeah. Bob, before I let you talk about that, Yach tells me I have to read something else. Okay. This year in a golf 2020 U.S. Open preview from Wingfoot Club with the uh, Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper is brought to you by Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, and Siegfried and & Jensen. And Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, and Siegfried and & Jensen want you to know they're fully on board with the JT pick. They didn't have anything to do with Colin Morikawa. There. Fine. I said it. We'll get to Morikawa's <laughs> problems in a moment. But first, what did you see in Justin Thomas? What did you, maybe not know, but at least suspect, because you used the first pick on him in our uh, three-round draft with the three of us, and here he is at five under after the first round, looking like a brilliant pick. Well, I, you know, I thought, I thought his comments early in the week were, um, <clears throat> were the ones that I wanted to hear out of, out of a player. Everybody was talking about how difficult and hard the golf course was. Justin Thomas said that as well. But what he did say is, from the first time he saw the golf course, he liked the way the golf course set up. He liked the way it looked. Uh, it looked good to his eye. Um, and that he wasn't afraid of the golf course. It was a very tough test, but he wasn't afraid of the golf course. And, and it very similar to what my dad said in 1959. Uh, when he arrived there, um, he ended up winning in 1959, but he, he played his first practice round there, and he told his friend that he was staying with. He says, if I, I'm ever going to win a U.S. Open, it's going to be on this golf course. And he ended up winning the U.S. Open in 1959. So when Justin Thomas said, I like this golf course, I like the way it fits up, it looks good to me, uh, looks good to, to my eye, that kind of thing, I thought, you know what, that's what that's what I like, uh, what I want to hear. And, uh, and Justin, uh, he... he he played some great golf yesterday, only missed three fairways, but he was only in the first cut and not in the deep stuff, and uh, and pretty much played phenomenal golf except for that one bogey. Yeah, I remember that win in 59, man. That was big time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great year of my life, man, 59. You know what, but, but, but your pick, Daniel Berger's coming on today. He shot what four under on the front nine but just bogeyed the tenth hole but but he's coming on so that's good to see tell us what you know about young preston Summerhays. i mean is he a phenom waiting to happen obviously he's in highly intelligent because he made the right academic choice in his college that it will be attend but how good is this yep. kid going to be you know he's going to be a great player um you know he's won already two big huge amateur events he won the the U.S. Junior Amateur last year, um, a, a USGA event, which allowed him to get into the U.S. Open. It also um, got him into the U.S. Amateur this year. Um, and then uh, he won a tournament called the Sunny Han Amateur, which is in um, which is in Pennsylvania, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It's a great golf course um, and had a lot of the big amateur golfers in the United States and, and elsewhere that played in that. And he won that one this, this summer as well. So he's, um, you know, he's clipping along pretty good um, with his, with his golf game. Uh, Boyd Summerhays, his dad is his teacher, of course, and um, is Tony Finau's teacher as well as a couple of other players on tour. And he's really, um, he's really uh, become a, a name out on tour, but, um, but Preston is a phenomenal player. 
He loves to play. He works hard at it, and um, and he's got the great mentality uh, of a competitor. And uh, he's gonna he's gonna t- continue to get better and better. As you said, he's going to ASU on a scholarship, and uh, and I don't doubt that he'll be out on the PGA Tour. So we've got another uh, ten golfers or so that are within three shots of the lead. Tony Finau yeah. is one of them. He's not eligible for our draft. He's local, so he's everybody's pick. Well, yeah, he's everybody's pick. Yeah. Right. So is this different than any other major for him based on how he hasn't won a major, he's got lots of top tens. Are you going to see something different in a tournament as builds that thinks this is where he could break through and get the major that we all think he has the talent to win, but he doesn't have it yet? Well, he hasn't, he hasn't done it yet. Um, it, you know, it'll, it'll happen. I, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, he's, he's, He's a guy that's worked his way up since high school, uh, worked his way up through the leagues of mini tours and, you know, the big break on the Golf Channel and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, he, he, he played uh, up in Canada in the Canadian Tour, finally got on to the Web.com Tour, won on the Web.com Tour, finally got on the PGA Tour. And now, now he's a guy that's got, what, 30-plus top tens in PGA Tour events. Uh, he's won once on the PGA Tour. And and he'll win again. He'll he'll definitely win again. He'll put it all together. He'll figure it out. Um, but it's great to see you know that he shot one under yesterday. He's one under today playing the 18th hole. And um, you know if he can if he can get another one uh, on the on the front nine, uh, another one or two on the front nine, and and get in the clubhouse at uh, at three or four on the par, he's going to be right there. He's going to be right there. He's tied for sixth right now. And and uh, and that's a great spot to be in going into the weekend. Are you surprised that there were that many guys under par under par oh, after yeah. uh, round one? Yeah. So listen to this stat: the last five years on the PGA Tour, not not including this year, the last five years, excuse me, at the U.S. Open, a combined total of seventeen rounds under par in the first round. The last five years, this year. 24, 21 players under par. So yes, totally floored on that golf course that that it was that receptible. Um, a lot of the a lot of the flags were in the middle of the greens. Um, I think the USJ uh, is just you know they they they're concerned about what the players think and how they beat them up if if the golf course is too hard or it gets gets out of control, um, and so. I think you're going to see it get a little bit tougher each and every day. Um, they put in these greens when they redesigned them. They put in a sub-air system which pulls moisture um, out of the out of the greens. I think they're, you're going to hear that. You're going to use. They're going to use that to, to to firm up the greens. And as we get closer to the weekend, I think they'll tuck the flags a little bit more, um, and and that'll make that'll make the golf course way more difficult. And you'll see. Uh, You'll see a lot of guys trying to hold on to to what they have. So, um, yes, very surprised, BK, seeing twenty one guys shoot under par in the first round. So we're not going to have another draft today. But if we had another draft today, now that you've seen eighteen holes, obviously you still love Justin Thomas. You picked him with the first pick, and he went five under. But if you had another draft yeah. today, what two or three names would you be looking to grab? Well, Xander Shoffley's right there. He's at two under also, um, and and he just started his second round. He's he was my, he was my second pick. I yep. stole him away from you, DJ. You did. Um, but if I if I picked another one, I might pick I might pick Patrick Reed. 
Um, I, I, this is, he's a, he's a bulldog. He's, he's a guy that, uh, that likes to get in the mix of it and especially in major championships. And he, you know, he won at the masters a, a few years back. So I might, I might pick him. Um, uh, you're not, I, you're I, not I, saying Rory, you're not saying Rory McElroy. Well, you, know, you know, Rory would be a good, a, a good pick also. Oh, okay. He played extremely well yesterday. Um, a little up and down some in his round, but for the most part, he drove the ball well. He had a lot of good irons, and he putted, he putted nicely. So Rory would be a good one also to pick. What do you think, not the overall winning score, but the uh, whoever is the winner Sunday night, what do you think that he would actually shoot on Sunday? Well, I, I would say probably um, on Sunday um, – you know, it, it, a lot of it depends on, on if they have a lead, if it's one shot, if it's a couple shots, whatever. But um, if it's a guy that comes from behind, he's probably going to shoot one or two under par. But if it's a guy that's leading and, and, and is trying to hold on, I would say he's probably going to shoot even maybe one over par and still be able to win. Bob Casper joining us to talk uh, U.S. Open here. Um are there any people who put up early, good early scores here you just 100% don't believe in and know are going to fade away? You know, there's, there's a few guys. Um, you know, guys like Harris English and, and uh, uh, I think Thomas Peters will be close for a couple of rounds, but I think he'll probably back off. Um, just, just guys that haven't really... You know, I haven't really been in the mix before in a major championship before. Um, and and I think because of that, you know, the amateur yesterday that, that got out to a lead, uh, you know, he was at four under par and, and backed, backed it all the way down to one under par. Um, you're you're going to see a lot of that. And, and as we've always talked about in major championships, you see a lot of sifting of what of the guys that are that play really well in the first couple of rounds and then – uh, you see them start to not be able to handle the pressure or, or the stage of where they're at. So you'll see a lot of that sifting. The guys that the guys, especially at this golf course, the guys that'll really stand out um, are the guys that have been in the mix before. If they haven't won a major championship before, um, or have won a major championship before, so um, so yeah, I, I think I think there are definitely some guys that won't um, stick around. And um, and and there's some of the lesser known na- known names that played well yesterday. You didn't think Deschambeau could bomb it on this course and do well? Uh, he's one under it looks like right now. Is he going to sustain yeah. it? You know, I think he will. And simply from the standpoint that you know he hit he hit some big bombs yesterday. Um, you know, the first hole he drove it off the first hole and. Uh, and he drove it like 380 yards off the first hole. He only had like a little short club in and, and ended up making birdie. But his, the average distance yesterday was like 312 yards off the tee, and DeChambeau was at 311. So he was a, he was a yard shorter than average uh, as far as the, the uh, field is concerned. But, you know, I think he's decided that he's going to pick and choose his spots to really – kind of go after it and hit it and try to hit it really, really long. He's hit a lot of, you know, I think three woods. Um, 
and maybe some some long irons off the tees. But but when he has a chance to light it up, he's going to light it up and hit the, hit the driver a long ways. Well, Bob, enjoy the golf this weekend. Have a good show tomorrow morning with Brian Taylor, six to nine a.m. Real Golf Radio here on the Zone Sports Network. And uh, we'll all talk, right. we'll talk to you again on Monday when it's all done. Okay, PK and DJ, thanks. Appreciate it. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locks coming up at the top of the hour. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Question of the morning. Got the U.S. Open, NBA playoffs, WNBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, soccer, pro, and college football decisions, decisions. What are you going to spend your time on this weekend? Alex says, hockey, the new American pastime. Stanley Cup playoffs. John says, anything except pro sports. Well, everything was pro sports except college football. Although we do have multiple people here. Youth football, Jeremy says. My son's WFFL football game, Dell says. Going to the kids' sports for part of the day. What's that, WFL, uh, whatever it was, whatever you said? Western Flag Football League? WFFL? Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think you're right. How much, that might be tackle football, though, I would imagine. I don't know. Gonna have to spell it out for us, Dell. We're all guessing off your acronym. Brent says golf and football, but after the national anthem stuff, do they play the anthem at the PGA Tour at the U.S. Open? No, I don't think he. I don't think he meant that. Just That's what I was going to ask. Now, golf. Uh, golf has been uh, politi- politics free. Brent is the only one going to the golf on uh, on this list here. Looking at about a dozen comments. Greg says the PDC, the Professional Darts Tour. Too political. <laughs> too I mean, that dartboard, that, that dartboard is a picture of Trump's face. It's just too political. Oh, see what you did there. <laughs> that was a stretch, but you got there. <laughs> the NFL, man, what did they do uh, with the national anthem last night? I did not. Uh, I didn't see it. I thought, well, didn't you don't need to see it to know what they've done. I didn't see it, so I don't know what they've done. <laughs> Again, you don't need to see it to know what they've done. Uh, I'm sure it's out there. I am Googling Bengals-Browns of... anthem. They stood together for the national anthem and locked arms in unity. Okay. Can you get upset at that? Yes. You can. Really? You can. People are pretty triggered these days. Now, it's been going on in the NBA for a while, and it hasn't upset people. 
That's what I'm saying. But that applies what logic is, to a situation that has a lot of emotion in it. So what? Well, what emotion would that have? I don't get it. I'm dead serious. What? What negative emotion? That your hand you, should be over the heart, not the unity. I mean, why did people boo? Why? And not everyone did. Well, first off, it, it wasn't a full stadium, so you got that. And then on top of it, of the limited number of people allowed at the Chiefs opener, they kneeled for a moment, not during the anthem. They, and people because there was kneeling involved. Okay, so why is kneeling folks, bad if it's not during it's not during the anthem? Ooh, why is kneeling bad? Ooh, man. That's well, then locking arms is bad. I think that in answer to your question on that, I think that there was folks who were going to boo no matter what because this was their opportunity to voice displeasure, and they really didn't think about it. They just were intent on booing. And now that we've moved past that, as you say, the NBA's been doing that for a good while, and nobody really bats an eyelash on that. And if you're going to interlock uh, in terms of show of unity, it's impossible to put your hand over your heart. So you're almost, for those folks who believe you should put your hand over your heart, well, it's almost like you're exempt from that if you have the whole ball club, whatever that club, whether it's 15 guys, whether it's 53 guys and some coaches, whatever that might be, you're not going to, I wouldn't think, this is my opinion obviously, so you're free to disagree completely, I wouldn't think that you would take the heat because you're not standing there individually. Now individually, you open yourself up for another story. But when the whole team, which is a lot of people, when you when you factor in, well, with the NBA now, geez, I mean, the amount of assistant coaches they've got, it was so noticeable in the in the bubble, you know, because they're sitting on three tiers. So for some reason, it's not as noticeable when they're sitting all horizontally in the regular situations. But you can really notice how many guys, because they're all in the same colored shirts, whereas in the regular times they're do, they're wearing different suits, so you may not be as noticeable. Plus, they're in. Uh, it's not a tiered amphitheater. They can sit in row the row behind you. They you know kind of I mean? blend into the crowd a little bit because everyone's wearing yeah. different clothing. You don't know exactly, exactly. where stuff but starts. Here and ends. with this bubble, you realize how many how many assistants do we need or staff members, and so you end up with twenty some guys uh, across the free throw line from one side of the court to the other. Basically, I didn't. And you're right. I don't recall any. Zero outrage. Maybe there was some, but I don't recall any. But having NFL players stand there and do this, that's gonna if, if that's what's gonna cause you to be upset, then you are gonna be upset no matter what. And there's there's a lot of folks like that. And I, I got a family member that watches whatever debates there are and then comes away with the Republican side was just awful. I said, well, you decided that years ago. <laughs> What do you watch it for? I mean, no matter what they say, the, the, you're, a, you're a left winger, so that is what appeals to you. So no matter what the left wing says, it's going to be great. No matter what the other side says, it's going to be awful. Well, you've decided that a long time ago. And that's what I feel like with some of these folks who are upset. They've decided a long time ago. And so no matter what they do, it's not going to be good enough. And that's where we are. But I think that's what it comes down to. It's it's not going to be good enough. The lines have already been drawn regardless of what anybody does week two, three, or four in the NFL. I understand that. But that's but I still want a specific example of what bugs you when you just read that the Browns and and Bengals 
locked stood arms. there, yeah. locked arms and hands over the shoulders, whatever it might have been. And the national, what more do you want? I don't know that there's more that you could have. I view that, my opinion, disagree, I don't have any problem with it, as fine. Jeez, what more do you want? Now, I've seen some uh, memes out there that uh, have been funny. If you find it funny, maybe you find it offensive, of uh, Drew Brees standing there, and on the back of his jersey it says Charles Manson. Uh, you know, as they put names back there and on their helmets or whatever it might be. And so, yeah, I mean, you're taking it to the extreme there. But I, I think that it, it, to me, that stuff is all symbolic anyway. And symbolism ain't going to change anything. Action is going to change something. Individual action. You want to make your life better? Good. Do it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.8 of the zone. David Locks coming up next.